nobody can be your guide except yourself. We we already have everything we need. Everything is in us. You know, we don't have to go and look for some things. We just have to excavate. This is Studio Confessions, the podcast. I am your host, Luis Martin, the art engineer. Listen in for conversation with artists and makers as we talk about their creative practice and what moves them. Let me share my wax poetic monologues on how to activate your creativity to live an inspired and more beautiful life. That's right, I said beautiful. Welcome to the studio. I'm glad you're here. So I met you through one of your classes. I took a private lesson. uh, I was very excited to see one of your postings about connecting with the divine feminine. And I was so intrigued. Wow. So I I don't know what I was expecting. I was just expecting to learn. But I was so surprised and enriched by the fact that you have such an amazing approach to teaching the tarot. Mm. Not only do you talk about the meaning behind the cards, but you connect it to very palpable imagery and archetypes. Can you tell me a little bit about what you do in in these classes? So uh, I have two classes. Uh, One which is more classic about um, intuitive tarot, um, you know, developing an intuitive uh, connection uh, to the card, kind of burning your books and trying to kind of unleash yourself from the tradition. Which is such an important part of learning anything right yeah and also just like the the, the thing is just like a lot of people you know when i when i read uh cards and then when i teach cards too sometimes people come and they you know they want a guide that's the moment where you fall into like some weird pattern you know like nobody um can be your guide except yourself we we already have everything we need you know everything is in us you know we don't have to go and look for some things we just have to excavate what I do in that, car- that, that class is I'm, I'm trying to kind of teach a student to create a real connection to images and also, um, you know, develop, um, you know, I go through, you know, the, the classics of how to read cards and different uh, tradition of reading them, but also kind of um, try to s- see all images um, that connect to images through archetypes in general and, um, and see what's behind an image, you know, and how to read every image like a tarot card because the world of tarot is not reserved to tarot you know when you the moment you become a real good tarot reader is when everything it's like the matrix you know you see the 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 green code of the matrix (laughs) you uh you see the world around you through the archetype that the cards are based on and um and then you can you know you're better informed about those forces that are around you the class you took is uh closer to uh my personal practice which is uh, a practice that is not used for divination. It's like uh, self-exploration. How did you arrive at Terry? When I was a, a young girl, maybe six or seven, my mom used to drive me back uh, from school and we used to listen to radio together. And uh, we listened to RTL. And uh, around 4 p.m. they had this program where someone was reading cards on the radio. And, uh, and so I was like going home with my mom and I was hearing that person saying, oh, you had the hangman or the tower reversed or the lovers. And, um, and I was just fascinated by those names, you know, like for me, they were something very strange about it. Like, uh, the, it's like the images of, I didn't really understand what it was. I knew it was kind of mystical that people put a lot of, um, belief in those cards. And, uh, I just was fascinated by the enigmatic 
uh, aspect of them. And I was picturing those images in my head, like they were already there. And then when I, later, uh, when I, my mom stopped uh, driving me to school, so I was walking to the bus, and I, I passed the tobacconist store that had uh, playing cards and uh, back rat, uh games and chess games too. And they, in the window, they had this uh, Grimaud, a uh, pack of cards with um, the magician, um, the butler on it. And so it's like the, it's a very beautiful card of a man with all the tools of the tarot, the swords, the cups, coins. And, uh, and I knew, I saw that and I was, oh my God, that's the cards. Those are the woo-woo cards that they were talking about in the radio. And so for my birthday, I asked my mom uh, to um, give them to me. And uh, What birthday was it? Uh, I was 11 or something. I was like very young. Uh, and so I was, I was a shitty tarot reader for a very long time. I'm not gonna, you know, like pretend that, uh, you know, like I come from a lineage of, no, it's not about this. Uh, I was a shitty tarot reader for like, you know, all my teenage years. And then I did it on and off for a long time. Uh, around my 20 years old, I uh, lived with this girl, Marianne. Uh, I was one of my best friends. And uh, she had the Rider Wade Smith uh, deck, which is the one I use now. And she introduced me to that deck. Uh, and so the ritual, because we were roommate, was every Sunday after partying, you know, all night, uh, we spend the whole day on Sunday, um, you know, on each other's bed. You know, we'll spread card on the, on the bed sheets and kind of like unfold all week and try to read the cards and understand uh, what they meant and try to kind of like um, gather around the you know the psychodrama of our uh, early adulthood <laughs> and uh, and that's how I started I did it on and off for a long time and then um, yeah it's like I've, I've not been professional for um, I, I've read for a long time but I've basically I started to um, be a professional reader for like about like two two years there is no indoctrination there's no PhD yeah. for tarot yeah. reading yeah. what do you think for you personally at what point did you feel like, oh, this is, I've tapped into something or, or I'm connected to something? What was that? I studied the cards for a very long time, but I, this thing happened once, you know, like um, I was in this um, spiritualist community in Lidl and uh, I was seeing um, a medium and she told me, you should undust your pack of cards and read them. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah totally, I'm totally going to do that. So, you know, like uh, that summer I undusted my um my tarot deck and I started to kind of like bring back my my books from my parents and rereading them and um I didn't really do much with it and uh, about a year later um because I was in a transition period my friend uh, gifted me a tarot reading from her uh, stepmom and uh and she said exactly the same thing she said to me like you have to read cards that's what you need to do like you have you know, healing powers. You can heal souls. And so at that point, it was like twice. So I thought, I can't, you know, I can't let that go under the carpet again. And I started to read cards again. And the, like I had not, nothing to do. You know, it was not like just, it just came. You know, there was that thing where it felt like meeting an old friend. It really felt like this. It, was, it felt like seeing that childhood friend back again. But um, it's like, we were both adult now. And so like we had like a different way of speaking, which we, we had a lot more vocabulary and we had different experience to share. And, um, and so now what I do is that I study tarot 
uh, and tarot tar history, tarot techniques. But uh, it's just only because I, I love it. You know, like once I, though I mean, like tarot has a very fluctuant history, and uh, there it's it, it's a very, it's a not fixated tradition that what makes it so beautiful. It's it's not a dogma. You know, like cards have meanings now. You know, like today people have you know this idea of the hangman being linked to martyrdom and enlightenment, some kind of personal enlightenment. The iconography of the hangman originally uh, comes from Renaissance Italy, and the the way the man is hanged on a card was an uh, humiliation, um, uh, torture. You know, yeah. like you will hang by one foot a, th a thief or someone who betrayed. The, the the iconography of that card is like linked to betrayal at the beginning, and um, and so it has nothing with enlightenment <laughs> at all. But uh, and so what's beautiful when I'm, I'm going into a rabbit hole? What's beautiful about that tradition that it's always in motion. It's um, it's not about fixated. Uh, uh, meaning. I feel like there's a lot of mystery and I think right now it's kind of in vogue, you know, yeah. the mystery because we're in such un uncertain times. Yeah. You know, like it seems we're always in uncertain times. Right now it, it seems it's a little bit more real and yeah. people gravitate towards yeah. divination and, and mystery yeah. uh, for to find meaning. There is certain fear sometimes about yeah. these things, right? But it's so reminiscent of an art practice. Mm -hmm. When you're an artist and you don't uh, cultivate, mm -hmm. um, it's about tapping in, right? Mm -hmm. Tapping in. And it, it, I just can't help but draw those parallels yeah. of this, how do you tap into this magic, for yeah. lack of a better word. For me, there is, you know, the only difference between art, making art and making magic is the, you're doing magic uh, for yourself and for an invisible audience, you know, spirits you want to connect with, whatever they are. Art is um, the same process, but um, you're talking to a, a real audience of, like, you're talking a secular audience that is you know, your world. Uh, that's the only difference. But the the making is the same. The, it's the same practice. There is this artist I really love. Uh, he's an artist and a poet. And uh, William Blake, uh, 19, uh, sure. 18th century um, visionary. Um, I think, you know, like I remember reading that for him and I think um, for me too, like I really think that uh, what makes us um, human and um, is our capacity, capacity of, um, you know, imagination that's allowed uh, allowed us all the revolution, technological and. But for me, it really is the expression, and for Blake, you know, like it really is the expression <laughs> of the divine, you know, like the that that thing that allow, that speaks to us, and you know that we manage to incarnate, you know, allow us to create images or the, give us the drive to think outside the box is uh, an expression to the divine. So whatever, you know, you put whatever name on that expression, that divinity, but uh, it really carries us to um, get out of our condition. Imagination only does that. So it's a very sacred thing. You know, I think doing art, whatever you do, or doing it, it's a sacred pr practice. You said that what we do is divine. And I think it's so interesting that for some reason, there's a lot of blockage in allowing mm. ourselves to, yeah. to think of it in that way. Yeah. You know, and I don't know if, obviously it's social, I don't know if it's economical or, or socio-economical, but there is this divide, right, yeah. of like understanding that everything we do is divine. Yeah. And maybe because we're in a you know, capitalist society, everything has to make sense. Yeah, and then also like we don't do, you know, like most, you know, it's a it became a very uh, unpopular idea to do things for your yourself you right. know? like just like most of 
if it's not on Instagram, it doesn't exist, right? Yeah, or or you know, like most of the people have to work for someone else, you know, and and spend the, their life um, doing something so they can earn money and make a living, you know, like it's very alienating, you know. Like, uh, there is the other side of that where I guess you know like you and I decided to choose you know quirky lifestyle that for me only New York's allowed you know yeah. where you can be you know like a weird creator tarot reader and bartender you know <laughs> in a cemetery some, sometime uh, and then uh, but it allowed you know like I, I do those those things so I can have time to uh, you know like there is no uh, moment where I feel I'm not doing um, something sacred even when i bartend in the cemetery you know like offering and it's stupid it's kind of silly to think about this you know but offering uh, other people's you know intoxication through alcohol you know like this kind of dionysian uh, dionysian ritual uh it's it's fun it took me a long time to be able to decide that i wanted to just do that to do small things that um give meaning uh, to my life I love that. And thank you for saying that. I think that is so rich. And, and mm. I think if anybody hears anything of this, it's that. It's yeah. the finding the divinity in everything yeah. you yeah. do. You yeah. know, and in the words you speak, we were talking about flying, right? Mm. And this is something very personal yeah. to me that I, that I was telling you about. Um, that when I fly, because I've had, I mean, I've survived, so, so they've been okay. But, you know, sure, I've had turbulence like everybody else. I've known people who passed away in plane mm -hmm. crashes. So it's, you know, and we live in a place where traveling is such a heightened experience, mm -hmm. but be able to take a, a moment before you travel mm -hmm. and kind of centering yourself. So I was telling you that I touch the plane and I bless mm -hmm. it, right? Yeah, and, I, yeah. and I say, you know, <laughs> energy, sorry. God, goddess, let us get to where we're going safely and bless the people who work in this, you know, because for us, it's only a few hours, but people mm -hmm. actually work in these things yeah. and that's it. Yeah. And then just, just stepping in to that yeah. faith, right? Yeah. But yeah, w w I don't think there's a system currently for us, for people in general to do that yeah. without feeling silly or without feeling vulnerable. It's very, it's very funny uh, to think that um, like what, what you're doing in the plane can very easily be seen as superstitious, you know, and because Absolutely. like it's, it's um, um, stigmatized as like some kind of wacky practice, you know, but like the thing is, the more you travel, the more you see that um, what we put under the banner of superstition is part of everybody, everybody's life in many other culture. You know, like there is blessings for everything. I've been raised as Catholic, and you know, like I oscillate toward that because of my culture and also um, my love for that type of iconography. But uh, you know, sometimes when I'm in France, I see them. I see the, like the, the other day, I think it was like around like August, I was in France and I saw this like um, on the news, you know, the blessing of the school bags at the church, the local church, you know, like <laughs> someone great. in the, you know, like the, the infos at night. And uh, you have, you know, the famously the blessing of the animals where you can come with right. your hamster or your python <laughs> at the church. I think it's like St. John the Divine where, you know, and the, you have, you, can, you come with a, your llama or your, you know, crocodile friends. And then the, you'll have a priest um, giving a blessing. Those are stuff that exist. They exist in main religion. You know, there is uh, things that are, have been integrated as uh, canon in Catholica that are actually, when you just step back, feel very suspicious. You know, even the Eucharist, you know, having this piece of bread that becomes like someone else's flesh that has died and rev is revived. Like the mystery of it, it sounds very superstitious too. And I think we lose that connection um, I think 
what you were saying about how people feel more drawn now about uh, tarot or divination or ancestor worship is because people want to reclaim that. It seems that, you know, to me, um, ancestral worship is like part of that new wave of things. A lot of people talk about it. A lot of people um, communicate about doing altar about their ancestor or like um, defining a spiritual practice around that. And I think that's so interesting and so important, doing that thing that our parents and have forgotten and, uh, and reclaiming that because it is uh, part of that history. There is like a, a gap and we're trying, like a, when you put two part of a movie together to edit, you know, like you're putting two, uh, back two pieces of narrative together because it has been broken down. Uh, and I think it's funny to think of it also in, in uh, technology terms because yeah. I think this whole ability to test your DNA yeah. and see, you know, this like these services that you send in your, your DNA through saliva and they yeah. send it back, to, oh, oh. You're, you know, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. I really do have answers. I have, so personally, yeah. I did that. And my, my family's from Mexico. Uh-huh. At least I thought. Yeah. Right. Oh my God, tell me your good yeah. DNA story. This is so good. I love it. So <laughs> my family, my father is born on the, the, by the Caribbean Ocean of, mm-hmm. of Mexico. And then uh, my mother's in the north. Mm-hmm. So I thought, oh, we're, you know, somewhere in there. I sent my DNA. And it came back and it traced my lineage or my DNA to the 1800s in Southern California, which is where I live. Oh, and so I, it's like the like you just full circle. But to think, oh my God, I'm I'm so American. <laughs> you know, I'm so American. The border moved, uh, but it was the same people. It was yeah. the same experience, and uh, it was really beautiful. So yeah. so that totally mobilized me and, yeah. and inspired me. Like, yeah, who are these people yeah. that I'm connected to? You know, these faces that when I went to the Natural History Museum in, in LA and I would see the Native Americans, not being able to connect because, oh no, that's Native American, that's, yeah. that's American, you're down yeah. here, yeah, which yeah. is you're fine. Yeah, you're part of the Caribbean no. experience, the Mayan experience. Exactly, <laughs> so it's like, you know, these are all you know social constructs, these borders. Yeah. I think uh, there's something really beautiful to be able to do that. And it's, I think it's so entertaining and funny that, that it's caused by this so modern mm-hmm. thing to do, you know? It's so funny because, uh, I, I was an adopted child. My brother is uh, Colombian. He was born in Bogota in um, South America. And so my, my family, my parents, my adoptive parents, they're from Burgundy, France. And I just, you know, I was born technically an hour away from Paris. And I just, like, I never, I never knew. I had hints of stories that my mom was able to tell me. But uh, my ethnicity was a big, you know, question mark. And so I did the DNA test this year as, like, you know, my birthday gift. <laughs> And then they sent it back, and it was just so interesting. They, like, uh, basically, I'm like a Mediterranean crab bag. You know, I had strong, um, um, strong feel feeling that I had Northern African blood because I I, I look like an Arab. Uh, I don't look fully like an Arab because I have red hair and tattoos, so it doesn't, you know, people don't do two and two. But when I was in Morocco for the first time, and and everybody was speaking to me in Arabic, I was like, oh, I had black hair at the time. I was, you know my natural uh and so like it's, just, it's it's been very inspiring you know like so i ended up like learning that i'm like some kind of iberico andalusian mystery mostly my dna is arab portuguese and spanish so. wow and so like i've been you know suddenly you know like it's been a couple of months i've been very drawn to to like um you know northern african magic practices and superstition and thing and i mean there is so much to know that we don't know it's it's a little stupid to say but the identity is such a 
bizarre idea because we identify we can identify to so many things you know yeah. i mean and even if it's not blood related even right yeah. <laughs> over the weekend i was watching this this a movie about a gay couple yeah. in the 80s and like many gay experience of that time yeah uh they were victim of, of AIDS. Yeah. so i mean obviously i'm not related to these people yeah but it's my story yeah right so I often, I think about this often, like I, I drink from the well that these people have dug, you know, mm. I'm standing on the shoulder of, of those giants, of those yeah. giants. Yeah. and I'm so grateful and I'm so saddened and I, and I honor these stories. And I think that's the connection, right? Yeah. Like that's what cures you from feeling lonely or powerless, yeah. knowing that no, someone came before you yeah. and, and paved the road for you. Yeah. So walk on it, dance on it, enjoy yeah. it, let it be holy, you know? Well, this, I think you should do, you know, like this is, you know, but you should do something for that, you know, especially now it's hitting the kind of like, you know, like time to memorialize the dead, you know, yeah. we're going to go in that season very soon. So I don't know if you do a, an altar. Absolutely. Well, you should have like some of your, you know, some uh, as a tribute for, you know, like the victim of AIDS or the people, the, you know, the great gays before you. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. There's, there's a list. Just, yeah. No, it's true. I think it's important. You know, like I have a, an altar that I've been doing, not f since a long time, but like I, I've been traveling um, in Mexico since I think 2010. I've been going there for a long stretch uh, whenever I had money and time. And um, and Mexican culture taught me so much, you know, like we were talking about superstition uh, earlier. The, the Mexican culture taught me that um, you can um, celebrate in a temple and celebrate at home. And then those things, although they seems very counterintuitive to a person who has been raised you know, through the ideals of a great book, great poetic book, the Bible, uh, it still means that you have the right to practice some kind of folk magic, you know, that is still related to, you know, uh, your pantheons of, in that case, of saints and, um, you know, like folk, uh, folk heroes and stuff like that. Uh, and Mexico taught me too that it's important to remember where you come from. And, uh, and it's a very broad idea that, you know, we're talking about identity. This idea of where you come from is not just the ancestors. It's like where you come from culturally, um, and uh, so like I've been doing since I'm, you know, like it's I'm not doing like a very big one, but I, I've been doing an altar uh, for a couple of years now, and um, you know the Mexican way, I, I bake special bread for it. I put wines, I, you know, I, and I put books, you know, I put my favorite authors, you know, some of them that I knew. I put you know like records, I, you know, like. There is no altar with a good David Bowie records on it. <laughs> uh, I put pictures of my, my grandparents, uh, some people that mattered in my life uh, that I, sometimes I don't even know if they passed, but I just want to make sure that they're remembered, you know, like friends, of course. And, uh, and I think it's very important. We have that great freedom of being able to integrate uh, those form of personal seeking in our life back again, you know, like hopefully we're going to have them for a little while, you know, we still have that freedom. So we should feel um, joyful about the fact that we can celebrate people in a very mystical way. You said freedom and it kind of scared me a little bit in thinking we have so much freedom now that we take it for granted and that it has to be taken away or it has to be squashed somehow so people can wake up and take advantage of the freedom, or not take advantage, but enjoy the freedom. I don't know. We have plenty of freedom uh, and uh, although there is um, 
a lot of very upsetting things happening, especially in America. Um, we have still the right to fight against those things, you know. People fight with the tool they have. I'm not an activist, uh, but uh, by trying to empower people through the terror reading um, into finding room in their life for self-healing uh, and introspection and, uh, and in a playful way, uh, I think I'm doing, you know, a little bit of that part. I don't think um, my role is, you know, I'm a very private person. Like, I, it's like stupid to say, like, I, I don't want to sound like a tall goth, but um, <laughs> it's true. Like, I'm, I think it's linked to the adoption, too. Like, I, 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 the idea of family, of community in general, is very strange to me. I don't, I don't feel that I'm part in t of, like, a terror community. Sure. Uh, I don't have anything against people in general. It's just that I've been working, you know, I'm self-taught for everything. I don't know, maybe I don't do the things by the book, but I, I excavate with my spoon slowly. Um, and I found great diamonds. Hey, why so quiet? Let me know your take on the talk. Go to studioconfessions.com and reach out to start a conversation. Or even better, leave a review on whichever platform you're listening on. It goes a long way. Want to see some visuals on the essence of the conversation? Go to Instagram and follow me at Art Engineer to see my collage work and inside look at the studio. Now let's get back to the conversation. My background is in art history and like most of the things I've studied are you know, like my, I have like different area of expertise, but like uh, from the end of the French Revolution to uh, the Second World War. And so during that time, like uh, mid to late 19th century, you have this, you know, a romantic period. And like there, there really was like a moment where melancholia uh, was uh, um, considered poetic, like a, you know, kind of a poetic asset. You know, there's something about the longing artist, you know, this archetype of, you know, like sadness allows us to be within ourselves. And, you know, once we are sad or, you know, longing, the rest of the world, you know, can do, you know, whatever they want. But like there is something of a very intimate experience. And uh, I kind of, you know, I, I, I found a lot of those ideals of the 19th, late, late 19th century um, very inspiring. But, um, if you take the work of... Uh, one of my favorite painter, Caspar uh, David Friedrich, nineteenth um, century landscape artist from Germany. Uh, most of his paintings are like very, very beautiful landscape. And someone, sometimes you have like one character, usually from the back, longing, uh, watching the sea, or, or um, like admiring the landscape and losing his gaze into the uh, gigantism of nature. I think I don't know. I think it's very. Um, it's very important. Like the idea is that uh, once you're there, you're uh, within yourself, and nothing exists. I think it's a, it's a very um, it's a luxury to have Absolutely. that experience. One of the connection between art uh, art history and tarot for me comes from um, another kind of William Blake pass by. But I, I think beauty has experiencing beauty has the power to change and heal. When you look at a picture of a car accident. Uh, it will wound you, you know, like you, seeing traumatic images will harm you in certain ways. You know, some people get addicted to it, you know, because there is like a catharsis. The same mechanism are in, at play when you look at beautiful things, you know, and beauty is not a tangible reality. It's an emotion. If you start questing for that beauty, there is, part, you know, it will transform you, you know. So like I really think, you know, going to the museum for me is like going to a, a church. Yeah, I go to the Met. 
like maybe once a month. And um, I have like a, this little path. I go out of the med and I feel like empowered for the whole month. I've seen, you know, my spiritual father, my spiritual mother. I've seen, you know, my godmothers, the role models that are um, whispering in my ears, like the person I, I want to be, you know, and I, I will quest some, some of their powers at different moments, you know. I really think that just standing in front of a painting, if you really open up, it has like a, that power to transform. You feel it's like going in your flesh, you know. It really, it really does. To me, it does. You have to court beauty uh, to be able to um, feel nourished by it. And, um, and um, that's what I teach. And tarot, tarot is the best for it because it, it is a visual oracle. I think many, like the, those cards, they're like little paintings, you know, like especially the writer of Wade Smith because there is, you know, an element of narrative and, uh, but there is, the, um, Pamela Coleman Smith, the woman who designed it, uh, who did um, the images one by one, it doesn't get enough credit except now. Yay. Uh, Pamela Coleman Smith, yay! Um, the, she was such a genius artist. She was um, at some point a member of the Golden Dawn, and then she turned Catholic. She was such a genius designer with like so minimal pencil work. Uh, she managed to create so much meaning. It's haunting. The images are so overlooked because they are so part of the fabric of American pop culture too now. And. Um, you took that um, conjuring the sacred feminine with a tarot. That's the that's the the yes. name of the class. But um, like you can do, you know, like I will do that class for conjuring the sacred feminine with a tarot or uh, conjuring the inner temple. You know, like they said, you're like inner uh, vessel. You can do that for anything. You can do that for any archetype diffused by the tarot in general. Uh, it's just understanding um, what those cards are and that they they are not supposed to tell you things all the time. Sometimes you can use them um, and uh, you can create patterns of meaning with them. Uh, so the, the way I work from personally, and um, I, I like to work and build altar. Like I, I like to build structures that are meaningful to me. Those structures don't look on my Instagram. You won't see them. Uh, but uh, basically I work with everything, you know, like I don't work with crystal, but I work with images, I, I work with pop culture figures, I work with uh, music, I work with text, poetry, I, I work with candles, colors, um, things that I found, things that were given to me. Um, and, um, and for me, it's like just like a tangent of things. Uh, I'm going to give you a very strange example. You know, I've been having those dreams recently. Uh, and also, like, obviously, I read my dreams. I try to write my dreams and read them every every day. Or, like, I wake up very early so I can get two hours of journaling. I know. I'm, I woke up at five. I woke up at five. Great platform. This is what I do. That's fantastic. <laughs> so I can get, you know, time with myself. Um, I have been having those dreams uh, about 11 from Stranger Things. And... Um, and so I've been, you know, trying to wonder, like, why, why does Eleven comes in my dreams? You know, what, who is she? Well, and so I, I broke it down this way. You know, Eleven um, is, you know, the adopted, my adopted self. You know, like, Eleven doesn't really have a mother. She has a mother that you meet in season two, played by M.M. Ellens, the great paraplegic um, uh, runner, uh, para-Olympic runner, sorry. Uh, so she has, you know, kind of a non-mother... She has a surrogate father into that, you know, in the character of that cop. And so she's like me. She's like a, 
a parentless child. And, uh, and then, you know, the more you see her grow from that, um, from, you know, the season one to season three, she starts to become, you know, it's like this weird path through womanhood when she be, she's going from that kind of strange, scared bird with superpower to uh, a real woman, you know, with like embracing her own body, her own femininity, and, um, and also having some kind of, at some point in the TV show, she has a kind of an identity crisis. Um, and so I've been working, it sounds very silly, but uh, it really works. You know, I've been, I bought, you know, Funko Pop, um, uh, <laughs> Funko Pop statue of uh, Eleven, uh, and, uh, you know, two of them, one from the beginning, from the, and I work with them, uh, I work with those. Uh, and I work, you know, but I work, today I work with Eleven from Stranger Things. Yesterday I was working with uh, Maria Magdalena, the, the feminine disciple of Jesus. Can you uh, demystify a little bit the, that we're working with? What do you mean? When you well, I do, you know, I, I basically, I, uh, this is getting very personal, but it's fine. It's fine. I, I build altar for them and I write, you know, I, I basically write intentions to them. I ask them to, um, you know, like in the case of Eleven, um, I'm, you know, I'm seeing her as like that uh, broken, the, the, that child with a broken identity that I am, you know, like the, there is a part of me that she speaks to because um, there is a part of me who's not un understanding the, this big gap between, you know, I was raised by parents, but uh, I don't look like them. My brother doesn't look like me. I don't like, uh, I don't look like anybody yet. Um, I'm judged for the way I look sometimes. Um, and, uh, and so there, there is something she, she really speaks about this. The reason she came in my dream is to um, give a, a voice or and a face to that part of myself, the kind of the part, the full part of myself, the one that belongs nowhere and everywhere, the the one that doesn't really know where she comes from yet has like some kind of weird power that allows her to do things and interact with the world. I mean, I think that's that's the ultimate power. You've granted yourself access to to this, right? Because yeah. I think anybody. Any layman person would yeah. have a dream of eleven. Be like, oh, I've been watching too much Netflix, yeah. or you know, or dismiss it. But to be able to see it through that lens, yeah. Well, it's just like the thing, you know. The I I work with saints too, but um, I'm also you know like I'm I work with the 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 things I know. What do I know? Um, things from the Catholic uh, pantheon, um, and I'm also you know like I'm although I. I'd love to just be, you know, like pretend to be. I'm like a 19th century um, hermit type. You and me both. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. You know, I'm part of. You know, I'm part of that culture. I'm like a millennial too. You know, like, and so I think it's not so much I'm choosing those images. They just come to me in my dream. My subconscious use that image to tell me to put a face. That's it. Like put a face on a very broken part of myself. I'm. I'm calling. I'm using that same language that my subconscious is using to talk to that um, and uh, and then but I, I there is no hierarchy for me there is no hierarchy. it's just a, a call and response you know like I'm I'm using a world of image and so for me there is no uh, hierarchy in those images there is no erratic practice you know everything can be used uh, as long as it makes sense and it has meaning the moment you build it uh, but I think yeah I think pop culture is you know great it's the lore of our time, you know, like the, I remember seeing this, you know, like documentary on James Campbell and he gets uh, interviewed in the, what's his name, the Star Wars uh, library, 
George Lucas. Yeah, the George Lucas Library, and I was like, what's the deal? Basically, the the, the story is that George Lucas was a big fan of uh, Campbell, and uh, and so he, he built uh, Star Wars on the hero's journey, you know, the monomyth. And the reason, you know, it has such an popular uh, impact today is that it filled that void. Uh, the Star, you know, and I'm not a fan of Star Wars. I don't, I don't. Yeah, I think it's cool. I love the cantina scene, but like I've I've, <laughs> I've watched them very recently. Compared, you know, it's not my generation. Um, it's uh, it filled that Star Wars filled that void that you know like superhero feel for some people. Like I I was not raised for uh, with superhero, but I know that um, you know like the why Wonder Woman is such a powerful archetype now is because it filled that void of like a kind of a Diane like goddess, you know, warrior female that has been completely suffocated from the cultural arena, you know, like why do people um, fetishize um, Michelle Obama? Because like she has, like the, her, the, the way she expresses her femininity means something to people. She is like almost, you know, she became an archetype unto herself. Going back to your class and going back to what you teach, it's always interesting because in my art practice, which mm -hmm. I consider my magic practice, mm -hmm. You know, I go to, I, I participate in exhibits or fairs, and I'm always I always have to kind of uh, read the person that's looking at my art because mm -hmm. there's people who are like, oh, that's really pretty, mm -hmm. and they walk away. Or there's other people that come in and they are looking and they see something, mm -hmm. and I can tell that they've seen something. And part of me wants to guide them through that because obviously uh, something has spoken to them. Mm -hmm. And so I've developed my own divination cards called the neo yeah, card i right? love those cards thank you they're so great they're beautiful too and i love that you do the deck first and then you learn the, you exactly. learn the techniques because i think it's this is the way you know like it's just like you you gave birth to those images and then they're they're suddenly starting to make sense by little to anybody but, yeah. right well i think what's interesting with the tarot like people are less spooked by tarot for several things you know like tarot come from compared to other methods um, tarot is a game of card. You know, it comes from two um, at the intersection of two roads, which is our impulse or love to play games and to feel. We can read uh, meaning through randomness. In in wrapping up, I want to ask you if there is a young person or just someone listening to their side mm -hmm. that have always been compelled to to want to pick up the cards, but there's mm -hmm. fear, or there's trepidation, or they just don't know. How do you think someone should approach that? Um, for me, it really boils down to this. It's like um, being a doctor, but um, instead of healing with pills, you heal with images. You know, the images have the same power. And, um, and uh, you can do that for yourself, open those windows for yourself, or you can do that for other people. But like, if you do it for other people, um, you have to kind of go through, you know, it's like, I guess, psychotherapy. You know? You need to go there first, go to the abyss and back. Um, and, uh, and you have to get a perception. You really have to understand what the cards are about, which is um, it goes very high and very low. Like a story can't go very high if it doesn't go very low. You have to think that, like Jung said that thing, you know, like to that metaphor of the tree, you know, like a tree can't raise to heaven if it doesn't have roots going to hell. And that's who we are. We have shadows we have dark spot there is no 
just love and light. The cards don't speak about this. You know, like sometimes you just have to put your helmet and go in a... You know, like you, you have to deep dive in that shadow. You have to just go deep and defy that monster which is within you. You know, you have to take that airplane. You know, you have to fight that fear. And then, then you'll be in vacation in, in cool France or, or, or in Thailand. I think it's, it's about this. Like we have to be our own little knights. And um, the monsters are not outside. Like there is no, there is um, where like when you when you read card, you're with yourself, and um, and the tarot is a mirror that can be very scary. You see part of yourself that are um, abominable, uh, but you have to be aware of that. We are monsters, but we're also you know it's like monsters and Madonnas. We are monsters and Madonnas. Thank you for that. You're very welcome. Put on your helmet and go. <laughs> yeah, put on your helmet and go. Yeah. I love so it. It's like, you know, Stranger Things. Another great, you know, initiatic um, um, story, narrative, I think. We have to be like those kids, you know? They just do the work that none, uh, no adults wants to do. They fight the big monsters with like, how do you call those? Slingshots. The slingshots, and they are unafraid. So like, we have to become that, unafraid. Unafraid of looking at ourselves. Leticia, thank you so much for sitting with me. It's oh, thank you so much for inviting me. You're, I love your studio. It's so beautiful in here. It's like so many beautiful colors and, and strange things. It is like, um, it is very inspiring. And I'm so excited uh, you did that deck too. Like the, Your deck is very beautiful. I appreciate it. Yay! Thank you. Yay! That's it. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, if you're inspired and triggered from something you heard, please share it. You are the candle that can light endless flames with what moves you. I am Luis Martin, the art engineer, sharing with you what moves me.